0: We have been studying the book of Romans, and if you will turn to Romans, the 8th chapter, uh, we have sort of treated this from the viewpoint of uh, working in Acts. And we're studying that on Sunday morning and Paul's journeys. uh, We sort of know where he is. And I've started out with you on this, that he wrote this book, of Romans, when he was on his third journey. just before he finished it. But really, to sort of get a view of this, you can see he's had three journeys, and he's in his third journey, his last journey. And he's been at Ephesus for two years and three months. Three months, he preached at Ephesus in a synagogue until the opposition got so much until he couldn't teach and preach like he had been, God wanted him to do. And he had to rent him a school, the one of Tyrannus, a hall, and he preached there as we, far as we know. He he'd worked during the daytime and he would worked with people and then he would, he would also teach during the night and during the evening. And in his, uh, it is said in the book of Acts, Luke is recording it, that while he was there, that he spake. As far as we know, he didn't leave Ephesus un, until he left it and went back where he went on his second journey, in Philippi and down to Corinth and when he was at Corinth to pick up the contribution to the poor saints in Jerusalem he was there 3 months he was there 90 days during that 90 days with the evidence we have and put it together is that that's where he wrote this book to Rome now there had been Christians who had been run out of Rome and had come to Corinth when he was there a year and a half on his second journey. And then he had taught people, and they had gone to Rome. And he's writing this, and I just want you to sort of see how that a person who's never been to Rome, he's never been able to go there and to lay his hands on them and to give them gifts and to encourage them but he's writing this book and we have seen that and we have read the first chapter and, and he, he starts out by saying that that uh, that he was not ashamed of the gospel for it was the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now what you have to understand that he's laboring under this under this great Picture that of the first few years of the church, he was one of those. As we talked about this morning, he was one of those Greek persons that was trained in the Greek language and in the Hebrew language. He was up on that, but he was had been out in his home was in Cilicia, is in uh, Cilicia, and uh, he had. He was one of the ones that was leading the opposition against Stevens and trying to pinpoint his blaspheming the law and God. And he held the coats of those that stoned Stevens. Now he had all of that behind him and he had killed a lot of Christians. He'd killed a lot of Christians. He had been so so against Christianity and people teaching that the Messiah was raised from the dead. But now, when he has changed and God touches his heart and he's given three journeys to teaching and to spreading the gospel, he has some people over in Rome that he's never been. He's never been there. But he's worked and been run out of cities and been beaten and he's been treated terribly by the jews the ones that were feeling just like he was in the first few years of christianity and yet he he knows christ is the messiah and he wants to write to these people over there in and and he wants to give them a letter and god is inspiring it and the first thing he does he said i'm not ashamed of the gospel it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is revealed the righteousness of God from faith unto faith. That is, from the faith of the person who will teach it and the person who will believe it. Now, in that first chapter, I pointed out, and if you look back with me, he, he emphasizes that he was declared to be the Son of God. With power, and that's what he fought so so strongly in the first few years of the church's existence, and killed Christians and left widows behind because he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But now he's preaching, and he said he was declared the Son of God with power according to the spirit of wholeness by the resurrection from the dead. He's changed his position. He was declared to be the son of glory because he is raised from the dead. Now, look at the number five. He said, by whom we receive grace and apostleship. He said, uh, uh, he called me. I've received this apostleship by his grace and his tender mercy. He's forgiven me. And this is what it's for. Look at the next phrase. For the obedience to the faith among all nations. These were Gentiles. Primarily, he was writing to over in Rome. Now, there were some Jews there, but he was writing and he was wanting them to know that this was for all nations. And it's for his authority, it's for his name, it's for his honor and glory. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ? He believed they were and that they had come. And in this first chapter and the second chapter, he showed that we were all sinners, that the Jews and Gentiles both were just sinners. Now look at the third chapter. The third chapter and the 23rd verse. He said, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, he says in the 24th of the 3rd chapter, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, he just knew that people could be redeemed through Christ Jesus and His his sacrifice. And look at number uh, 25. Whom God hath set forth to be, that is the continuous sacrifice And cleansing power, propitiation, is the continuous atonement for our sins. It's a continuous atonement for our sins. It's like a lamb that's being slain every moment. In the Old Testament, where they had a lamb picturing Christ coming, well, Christ is that lamb. But you have to believe in it. Look at the next phrase. Through faith. And you have to believe it's in His blood. It's faith in his blood. It's not in the law. It's not in the keeping of the law. It's not in the keeping of rituals. It's faith in his blood. What does that that declare? What message does that have? It declares uh, his righteousness for the remission of the sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. He just got through saying... That all had sinned and all had fallen short of the glory of God. This human predicament that we find ourselves in, it still exists. And Jesus is the answer. Look at number 25. All of this is brought about to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness. Well, it's not anything we can do to save ourselves. Sure, we can come to him and we can keep the commandments and we can believe and we can confess him and we can be baptized and we can walk in the in the light, we can be obedient, but it's his righteousness that saves us because he's given his blood to save us, and he gives us strength. Look at number the next phrase, that he might be just and the justifier of him which Believes in Jesus. Now that's the one he's talking to when he said, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel," for he's the power of God itself. To everyone that believeth, to who is the believer? It's the person who believes it. It's the believer, and the believer in Jesus. Well, he says, "Where is boasting then? Is it ex- ex- excluded uh, by what law?" He says, "Is it excluded? What works is it excluded?" No, no. He says, it's the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he he the God of the Jews then only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Now, in the King James Version, that's translated by first time and the second time it's through and it's the same word in the original language. Now, I don't know why they did that, unless they thought when they were translating, well, it has to be a little bit different uh, with the Jews. It's no difference at all. That's what he, he's given that chapter. It's just it's just God saves the, the Jews by faith, and he saves the Gentiles by faith. And do you then make void the law through faith or by faith? That same word, it's it's used, it's translated different. God forbid. It's no difference. We established the fulfillment of the law. Now, we went over 4 and 5 and showed you that he really dealt in the 5th chapter that we're saved by faith. And that's that faith that you believe that Jesus is the answer to man's sins and his problems. And uh, look at that 5th chapter. He says the second verse says, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And on, not only so, but we glory in anything that comes to us because we, we're destabilized by this faith. And he shows us to hang in there. Uh, and God will give us the strength. And And the, the he said, God commended his love, the eighth verse, toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's already covered that. He said the Jews and Gentiles both are sinned. Man just in his sins. And now he, look at number nine, he's saying, it's by that blood, but it's back where he started that it was, he said it, it was a propit- propitiation. He's atonement for us. We shall be saved through, uh, uh, from wrath through him. And he comes on In that 10th verse, he shows us that the process, we are, we're enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, being reconciled, that just means that is to make, to be reconciled is from, re is again, con is with, Sile is from the word, in the Latin is live. So we just live again with God. If we live again with God by the death of His Son, look at that next phrase. We shall be saved by His life. If when we were down in the depths and His blood and His sacrifice saved us, then when we're up here fighting the struggle, we're still in sin, this is the way we do it is by the help He gives us. And this is where we get missed the mark sometimes. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. And he's repeating himself. Well, he's a propitiation. We received his sacrifice, but it's a continuous process. And he says, well, just like old Adam, sin came through Adam's disobedience while man comes to Christ through obedience to him. And then he he has a whole chapter in 6 showing that it's a process of going through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, accepting his death for our sins, and that we're, the old man is crucified with him, that we are buried with him, and that we are raised with him, that he gets our heart when we talk about him, we believe in him, and we trust in him, and we give ourselves to him, and he forgives us, and then we're saved from sin, and we're no longer dead. We are uh, we reckon ourselves. Look at the 11th verse of the 6th chapter. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead. In, you're dead indeed, indeed in sin. You can't get in that category anymore. You've been translated out of that. But you're alive unto God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the way. Your position in Christ is what sets you apart from the world. And then now, since you're that way, look at verse twelve. Then here is a command. You're let not, let not. It's 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 emphatic that He's given a command, just like He said, Let every one of you be baptized. You repent, let every one of you be baptized. This is a command. Let not sin therefore reign in your... You mean you you can have a choice? Yeah, you can. God made us that way in the Garden of Eden. He's kept us that way. He redeemed us. He showed us He didn't want us to die in sin and, and spend eternity with the devil. So He gave His Son, but we still have the choice to serve Him. We still make the same mistake that Mother Eve did. Just because we are redeemed, we're no different from Adam and Eve when they were placed in the garden. He said, that's the way I made you. I gave you the dignity. I made you in my own image that you can make choices, that you can understand, that you can follow good or you can follow bad. He hasn't taken that away from us. And we need to understand that. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in the lust thereof. That's just instructions, and, 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 and we can choose that. You know, we've learned in dealing with the mentally ill, we used to lock them up, and we still do at certain stages. But now, the training that has developed has found out that we can put them on behavior and let them know they suffer a consequence. And even the person who has a mental disorder can be put on a third floor and a second floor and a first floor and finally can go out on the street if he is responsible. And sometimes it, you just shudder at doing that, but Dr. Glasser is the one that started that. He turned a lot of people out of that just to show that they could be responsible. And it surprises you what they do when they understand they can be put on their own behavior. But God has done that to man, and man can respond in the right way. And we need to understand that the greatest way that we can make adjustment in a congregation in the body of Christ, with all of our frailties and inferiorities, and our lack of really being trained as we ought to, that we have the ability to make right choices. We don't have to act silly when we get older or even when we're younger. We may, but we have a choice to make, uh, uh, the, uh, have the kind of behavior that we know is acceptable and is acceptable to people. And God has put us on, on the behavior here. In that 13th verse, it says, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God Unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now in that ordeal that happened at, at Littleton, it was wonderful to understand that a lot of those young people knew what it was to receive Christ into their hearts and lives. And I know we differ on that in different churches and different denominational doctrines. The ones of us of the church of our Lord, we, we know that they shall all be taught of God. And we know that we can understand how you're born of God and that chapter 6 teaches us. And the, and the eight cases in the book of Acts, how to become a Christian, we say, well, the way to do it is just, just, just do it like that. And just do what they said and, and obey God and, and you'll have Jesus in your life. Well, those, those kids, regardless of what they'd been taught, many of them had been taught that Jesus existed and Jesus gave life and Jesus promised eternal life. And it's wonderful to know that, and, and, and we, we think, well, you don't just receive Jesus, you just say, let him in your heart. What you do when you become a member and you're born of him, that's what that's teaching. is that's the way we appropriate Christ. The reason we differ with a lot of denominational people and their teaching is because they teach, well, anybody who won't receive Jesus tonight, raise your hand. We'll have prayer. He'll come into your heart. This is where it started. we sort started of shudder and say, well, there's there, we can understand how. You you let him into your heart and lie. That's true. And there's a certain way of being buried with him and raised with him and converted and changed. But look at that 13th verse. He's talking about people in the 6th chapter that's already been born again. And yet he's saying, here is something that happens look at that neither yield ye your members unto as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God that's a happening that can happen it can happen just like people are talking you receive Christ you want him to come in your heart and life well we ought not to overlook the fact that you're born again and that you believe and you You put him on in baptism. But our process of... of, He's teaching here. Those people that were 1,500 miles away from him that he had never seen, and he knew they had been baptized, and he even goes over it. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation. He understood somebody had taught them how to get into Christ, but he wanted them to appropriate Christ. Look at that 14th verse. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. That's a process. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? No, that doesn't give you license to sin just because that you're in Christ and been forgiven. And that he's going to save you. He saves you, and when you're saved, you're free from sin, and you don't even get in that category anymore. You don't, you don't eat the forbidden fruit anymore. You understand that you, you rise above that. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, as servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto right? that's a process that happens every day of our lives. And that's what it means to be a Christian. And a person might say, well, do you think you'll go to heaven when you die? You say, well, I don't know. It's a hard life, you know. I say in a lot, and I don't know whether I pray enough, and I don't know whether I live good enough or not. Well, hey, yeah, you're going you to be saved. You believe in the blood, you're cleansed. You're cleansed constantly. You walk in it. You appropriate it. You don't give your body to sin. You say, well, sure I'm going to heaven because the blood of Christ is cleansing me. And I I pray to God that I'll never lose my faith in His blood. Look Look at the 17th verse. He said, just thank God. Just thank God. God be thanked that you one time served sin, but you don't live there anymore. You don't participate in that. You don't have anything to do with sin. You obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. When you died, you repented. You believed in Jesus. You believed He existed. You believed He could come in your heart and that you would, He would make you, He would take a, a boat in your, and He would give you the Spirit. And you obeyed that from the heart, that teaching, and when it was delivered you. And at that time, look at number 18. You were made free from sin. And you became the workers of righteousness. You became the workers or deacons. You became a deacon. That's the word de- diaconos. You're deacons, all of deacons now. You're servants. And you're just working for, you're working for Jesus. You're not working for the devil anymore. And he said, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmities of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants, to uncleanness, and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now, he's talking to us as Christians, even though now, you're yield your members unto the servants, uh, 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 members, servants. You're a worker now. What are you working for? I'm going to do righteous. I'm going to do what's the way of good, and like Christ. And unto holiness. Well how do you do that? Well he touches that in the eighth chapter. He and and, and he takes a whole chapter to just show how deeply we're in, embedded that sin is embedded into our flesh. The whole chapter in in is is a the lower nature. How that we can be subject to uh, Law of sin and death, and then he comes into the. Look at the fifth, the twenty-fifth verse of the of the seventh chapter. He says, "The twenty-four says, O wretched man that I am! Who shall deliver me from the body of the death?' We're, we're going through a crisis when we're in the flesh. I thank God that through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind." I myself serve the law of God. That's your spirit. That's your understanding. But with the flesh, you can serve the law of sin, but you don't make that choice. Now, how do you keep from it? Now, we got into that a little bit last time. And the 8th chapter is that there's just, you don't have to worry about not being saved if you're in Christ. Look at the first verse, the 8th chapter. Now, after he said the six and seven, and after he said that we're all understand and he said just like Adam sinned, and he he, he brought everybody into this condemnation state, then Christ was saved, and he brought everybody into a state where they can be saved. And now he's saying, therefore, now no condemnation. There's no condemnation. Here's the here's the climax of all. There's just not any condemnation. I painted you a pretty dark picture. I showed you where the Jews and the Gentiles are all understand, and they're all doomed to hell, and they all have a nature uh, that they're depraved. They're totally depraved as the denominational world, and the, uh, they say they totally depraved and can't do anything about their God. That isn't true till God uh, zaps you or something. We are, have a nature that is depraved. It's fallen. It's a fallen nature. And when we get to the age when we know difference between sin and righteousness, that's when we can make the choice. But there's, look now, there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. That's the reason he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for he is the power of God and salvation. To everyone that believes it. To the Jew first, also the Greek. For therein is revealed the righteousness of God. From faith unto faith, the faith of the one, like Paul, is teaching him, and the faith of the person who accepts him. So it's not any use to be uh, worried about it. For the law of the Spirit of life... Look at the second verse. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now what you've got to understand is that when you're in the law of the Spirit of life, you come into Christ the seed was planted into your mind. And the seed is the Word of God, Luke 8 and 11. And, and the, the seed was planted in your mind and you received Christ when you believed that he died and was buried and rose and that if you will die to your sins and if you'll be buried in the likeness of water baptism, that you'll be buried with him and you'll be raised. And he's covered that in the sixth chapter. And it's been taught, He's taught it over three journeys. Many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. He has taught it to the Galatian brethren and said, Therefore we are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Just many of us baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And he uh, has written to the Colossians and said, Buried with him by baptism for we are all raised to walk in a new life. It's so many places that it's been taught and, and we know that you've been made free from the law of sin and death when you're in Christ. Look at number three. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sin and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So when you're in Christ, you're free from sin. When you've been baptized into his body and into his blood and put him on, you're free uh, from condemnation. that the righteousness of the law must be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So what is that? As to listen to the Spirit, to obey the Spirit's words, and to let him come into your heart. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are spirit, the things of the, of, of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is, is against God, for it is not subject to the, the law of God, neither indeed can it be. And that's he used the seventh chapter just to show that what I would do, I do not. That which I would not, that I do. And he said, he's, he's given us the instruction through Christ. We just listen and we make the right choices. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So you can't be guided by that. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If ye have received the spirit, now when did you receive the spirit? Well, according to Acts two thirty-eight, he'd been preaching that uh, uh, Peter preached it, and others preached it, and he didn't receive it. He Paul was killing people who believed it, but finally he changed, and now he's given his life, and he's doing everything he can to spread the gospel to the uh, Asia. And he established all the seven churches while he's right here before he goes there three months to write this puzzle. And just think how much work he's doing to try to get people of the world to see the truth of the gospel. And when you see that working, you can see what a wonderful thing that he's doing. And he's saying, so then, uh, n- number nine says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwells in you, He's writing that to them, and he's endeavoring them to walk after the Spirit. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But they had, had the Spirit of Christ, and he told when they had the Spirit. And in the sixth chapter, he said, you became alive with Christ when you were raised with him in baptism. And uh, he said, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because you're living right and you're doing right. And he said, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, there's a spiritual being. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also make alive, quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. That's a process that goes on. And he's teaching them. And he says, we are debtors to live not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For if he live after this flesh ye shall die but if ye through the spirit how do you do it you just accept the fact that the spirit's been given to you and that you you give way to him you don't quench the spirit you don't put it out of your life you accept it through the spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body ye shall live for as many as are led by the spirit of god they are the sons of god our job today is to be is to be led by the spirit And the Spirit of God, we have received. Look at the 15th verse. You've not received the spirit of bondage again to be afraid that you're not saved and that you don't have the power to work, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, it's just somebody, it's just just up to us to believe that. He said, it's to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for as many as would believe in him. So it's for faith unto faith, if you'll believe it. Look at the 16th verse. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We've just got to believe that. He gave it to us, and he's going to help us. And if children then ours, ours of God, and join ours with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together with him. Now, the rest of the chapter shows just how many things might overwhelm us. That would discourage us. And uh, look at number 26. He says the Spirit helps us with our infirmities. He's got to believe that. He's got to believe that. If you don't believe that, then you you don't believe you were saved, you you don't believe you were given the Spirit when you were baptized, then you just don't believe. In Galatians 3 and verse 2 says, you're not saved by the law, but you're saved by the ones who listen to the Spirit. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You just got to believe that. If you don't believe the Word of God when it said, when it said that He gave you the Spirit when you were baptized, then you're you're suffering un, uh, with unbelief. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth that what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the to will of God. Now, the person who searches the heart is God in Christ and the Holy Spirit. The Godhead works in unison. unison. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And uh, 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 God is the heart-knower. Christ is the heart-knower. The Holy Spirit is the heart-knower. They all know our hearts. And they know what our mind is, and we got to understand when we're in trouble and when sin is approaching us. We just ask them, and they give. He will not suffer us to be tempted above that which we are able, but will, with temptation, he'll provide also the way of escape that we may be able to endure it. And look, look at number twenty-eight. He said, we just ought to know that all things work together for good to them that that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Now, in you understand what a subject of a sentence is. John hit the ball. John is the subject. Hit is the predicate. It's the verb. Ball is the object. That's a simple thing to understand. What the subject of a sentence is. In this. We translate. They translated the King James Version. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. That is really an incorrect. If you take the Greek, it's translated incorrectly. You say, "Well, how do you know?" I know. I've studied the Greek, and I know when anything is in the nominative case. And I know that sentence that God is the nominative case it's a subject and I know from studying the Greek that all things is in the accusative case is the object and it doesn't take a person that just had Greek for one year can determine that when you look at it when you translate it like the original language we know that God is the nominative case. God works together for good to them that love. God is not the object. To them that love, God works together for good And that's according to his purpose. So this whole thing and this great theme here is that you don't have to worry. We're all understand. We've all given the remedy of sin. It's Christ Jesus. And we've given the down payment on eternal life, which is the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand that we're just responsible people. May God help us to be responsible and cast our cares on Him. May He strengthen us and build us up and help us to become a wonderful people because of the love that's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, as He said in chapter 5. If you're here and subject to the call, you need Jesus to come as we stand together and sing.